Yes, it's the second Entitled Town of the Week. Your podcast feed is not lying to you. Hello, friends. We've got full attendance again tonight with Scartelli, Shaq, John, and Dan. My name is Mike Irons, and since our agenda is quite filled, 942 days since the conclusion of the 2018 World Series, we should do this. I had no clue. We're going to be positive every day. You're the people being negative. You're some of the fans. Larry Bird's not walking through that door, fans. Kevin McHale's not walking through that door, and Robert Parrish is not walking through that door. And if you expect them to walk through the door, they're going to be gray and old. And all this negativity that's in this town sucks. And I've been around, and, and, and when Jim Rice was booed, I've been around with Yosemite booed, and it stinks. It makes the greatest town, greatest city in the world lousy. This is Entitled Town. <laughs> Big thank you to Rick, to Al, and the orchestra. Gentlemen, we're back second time this week. Thank you all. Our DM thread was absolutely humming today after the latest shenanigans from the Four Letter Network. We're here to talk about this, or this and a few other topics. Topic one, Scartelli. ESPN's Don Van Natta and the appropriately named Seth Wickersham took their unnamed sources from the initial hit piece last year to a no, an all-new level by including a grudge-holding dead Eagles fan who happened to moonlight as a U.S. senator. This is like the holy trinity of clickbait. You got the Patriots. You got Belichick. You got Trump. What'd you think? I was uh, led to believe that the rhetoric would end. Oh, crafty. Oh, crafty. But uh, here's where it's at. Geometrically, a football is a prolate spheroid. And time... Time is a flat circle. We're here again. It's forever the back end of 2007, and it's Spygate time. It's They're playing the exhausting. hits. It really is exhausting. I uh, Groundhog Day, any pick your soundbite from Groundhog Day, Dan. Um, this, is, this is new and fresh, and like I said, we've been batting it around all day. You're kind of our resident uh, Spygate uh, deflate gate um, investigator slash expert. So um, where, where, where's your head at with this? Um, I've, I've written so many words on Spygate. <laughs> I, I, I think of Spygate as the gift that keeps on taking. It takes draft picks, <laughs> it takes fines, it takes games away from Tom Brady. Uh, and if there's one thing we learned from Spygate is that, that a story doesn't need to be true to be believed. All you need is that willing audience ready to lap it up. Uh, and in this case, you got either whether it's Trump supposedly bribing a senator or Kraft in, uh, inducing Trump to do that, you've got that built-in audience. You just lead them to the trough. No, that's true. I, I want to, uh, this is a, a poll from the old BSMW board, our Slack that we have. And I want to lead, uh, be, before I throw it to Shaq, I want to read this. Shout out to our guy, Laszlo. And this is his quote. A lot of people think that just because somebody has a newspaper gig, is on TV or on the radio, that they must possess a thorough understanding of the subject matter about which they're talking about. In their opinion, therefore, must hold value. Why else would they be given these jobs, right? May have been true decades ago, but it certainly isn't now. I value the opinion of my 10-year-old as much as I do any media figure. That's poetry, Shaq. Uh, your thoughts on the latest Wickersham Van Natta, uh, unnamed sources, and now Weekend at Bernie's with Arlen Specter. Yeah, as soon as I saw this come out, it, it hit me like a ton of bricks. It's the dynamic duo of deceit and deception. And there's, Nata, there, there's Van, your tagline. 
<laughs> Van Nada, Van Nada, who has Nada, and Seth Ricker Sham is at it again. And it, it, I, I know, I get it. It's the doldrums of the NFL offseason. There's nothing to talk about except for, you know, OTAs, you know, but that's boring. That's too boring. You know, Aaron Rodgers, that's too boring. That all that drama, there's nothing going on there. So where do, where do you dig? You dig where you, you go with what you know, the Patriots and cheating. And if you add that together and then you put uh, Trump and then you put a, 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 a cheating and those buzzwords, mm-hmm. oh, you're going to, oh, you're trending on Twitter all day. And that's exactly what happened. And it all, this really all began with this uh, specter investigation probe and oh Trump allegedly was going to stop it no you know what stopped it common sense stopped it yeah. and and this isn't just the rehashing uh this article and i i barely can call it an article because it really was just uh specter's son who's as he he clearly is as yeah level-headed and and filled with common sense as his dad was clearly um this wasn't just the rehashing of the facts. It was a rehashing of circumstantial evidence at best. And the further you read it, it falls apart totally. And the premise of this story is the specter pursuit of the Patriots through Congress was stalled by Trump. But mm-hmm. at the end of the day, specter towards the end of his life, he wasn't, and I don't want to sound callous here. He wasn't very mentally capable. You know, he was getting up there in age. And so he has very deep ties to Comcast Cable, which, where is that based at? Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. He had switched party and, affiliations. Mm-hmm. He was trying to win the support of Philadelphians. And, if, and well, if he got any Pittsburghers, that wouldn't be a problem either because they all hate the Patriots. And because in his mind, the Eagles were robbed by the Patriots. No, you know what happened? The Eagles had shitty clock management from Andy Reid. They had McNabb vomiting Campbell's soup on the sidelines and they couldn't hold on to a 10 point lead in the fourth quarter. That's why they lost. But, you know, it, it's, it was another Wickersham Van Natta hatchet job with a healthy dose of innuendo and hearsay and just a whole bunch of crap. And of course that if you hate the Patriots, this was, this was your uh, swan moment. So hope yeah. you enjoy it. You know, it's just because you're telling a large audience what they want to hear doesn't necessarily make it true. And I think that's exactly what uh, Wickersham and Van Natter are doing here. Uh, John, your thoughts on um, the latest? Yeah, I've got a bunch of thoughts, too. I'll try to hit a couple things that maybe Shaq didn't touch on. The uh, You know, I fixate on words in these articles and certain phrases, especially what I view as political stuff, just like the Vice documentary. You know, I view that as political. Obviously, this is there's a politicalness to this. You know, uh, the, the Natta and, and the Sham talk about you know, a hard charging U.S. Senator. I mean, the dude's in his late 70s. You know, it's the kind Vito of, it's Stolino kind of, portion of his career. <laughs> exactly. It's like Vito Stolino is a hard charging sports writer, right? Uh, you know, he'd, he'd launched an investigation. That investigation is the equivalent. You know, it's not a parade when some rando is walking down the middle of the street, right? It's just a rando walking down the middle of the street. That's the equivalent of what that investigation was. Not a single other senator signed up for it. It right. was a skill of a guy, one guy screaming at traffic. Exactly. So, I mean, if it was an investigation, you would have had an investigation. So any, any senator can send letters. You know, they may or may not get responded to. Something may or may not happen from that. Nothing happened from this, right? So, you know, to, I, I wouldn't even do this as an investigation as much as 
one guy, as Shaq said, carrying the, the interesting story here is one guy carrying the water for Comcast, who was his largest political benefactor, right? His number two political benefactor was a law firm, lobby firm that lobbied for Comcast, right? Which is a common way that money is laundered through politics. So you've got, you've got this kind of, you know, in one of the great lines in politics that I love is it's never about what it's about, right? So Spectre had this opportunity to carry Comcast's water for some, on in, in a way that didn't make it about Comcast. He was able to kind of stick a thumb in the eye of the NFL in this, in Spygate and the Patriots were like this, you know, these, these kind of collateral damage on this as a way to soften up the league as it related to the Comcast stuff, right? It's, it's pretty obvious if, if you're kind of into the political space that that's kind of what's going on here. Uh, I thought they, the other, another couple of funny lines, you know, uh, they referred to Trump as a quote, generous political patron of specters for two decades. I mean, I'm, I am sorry. If you give a guy a senator, right, who's, who's running for a fifth term, that's we're talking 30 years now. If you give him $11,300 out of personal money in that yep. time, you are not under any circumstances in Washington, D.C., a generous political patron. OK, this is an example where they've got their story made up in their mind. The facts don't quite fit, but they're just going to slam it all in there anyway. This is something you'd see out of a blog. It is so thinly sourced. And then so so. You know, we, we, we get into, you know, I've got a bunch of other thoughts on this, but I want to get to one other thing that I, I think is, you know, where my head goes on this. So why the timing? Why now? Like, and, and the fact that, you know, you, you've got this kind of make-believe source, Spectre's old comms director who ghost wrote his books, right? Who never heard from Spectre definitively that it was Trump, but, you know, is convinced now. And then, of course, you've got his son, right, who is a very successful trial attorney in Pennsylvania, and, and he, he is now saying now it's coming out that Trump did all this. And you think to yourself, well, what, what's his motivation? Like, why would he do that? If you look at Pennsylvania politics in 2022, which is the next election cycle, you've got Republican Senator Pat Toomey up for re-election. You've got the governor term limited, cannot run again. You've got the, 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 the Pennsylvania state DA, right, who is likely to run for governor, right? And you've got Arlen Specter's son, who is a successful trial attorney. Oh, and you, you got Pennsylvania losing a congressional seat. You've got right. existing existing congressmen, members of Congress in, in, in Pennsylvania gunning for that Senate seat to run against Toomey. You've got all this interesting political kind of dynamic happening in the state with open seats and people jockeying for position. I would put my chips in the middle of the table that Specter's son is looking to run for um, district attorney, uh, not district attorney, um, attorney general the state of Pennsylvania in 2020. So that's the, so that's the end game here. You think that's that, the end game. That that's that's my guess, right? Cuz I'm trying to I'm trying to think like what what what's the motivation here? Well, to to run in a democratic primary for attorney general to get your name out. You got more money than God, right? Because you're an extremely successful trial attorney. You can you can finance your own campaign. How do you separate in a democratic primary for a seat like attorney general? Slam Donald Trump. Pretty easy, right? Pretty easy way to get your name out there to remind people of your dad, right? And, you know, that would be my guess. I bet you that's the thinking here. Uh, you know, it, it certainly makes sense, Dan. You know, we said in the thread earlier, follow the money, but, you know, what's the end game here? It's, and I think John may be onto something. I want to know what, uh, John, what was that phrase you said in politics? It's about, it's not about what it's about. It's, it's never about what it's about. Right. I think so that, that might applies. be this podcast title for this one. Right. So that, that actually, maybe that, that applies here too. Cause um, 
with uh, Wickersham and, and Van Natta, they're always burying the lead. They're always being put up as this, you know, the pinnacles of, of the profession. But like in the 2015 one, the lead was, you had the owner, some owners saying, hey, actually there wasn't even a quote, this is a makeup call. So they had no problem with them taking down the Patriots, no matter how bad the investigation looked, as long as they made up for Spygate. And in this one, it's the same sort of thing. They, you could look at, is this about Trump bribing it? Is it about the, the, the odd coincidence that, um, that Spectre's investigation dried up around the same time as that alleged bribe? No, 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 no. Let's, let's shape it to what the kid said, <laughs> what the son said, and that it has to be about right. Trump so we can indict them. But the other thing I noticed in the story was that as of 2017, neither the ghostwriter nor the son um, were saying that they had heard anything from the, from Spectre right. that that the call was Trump. You know, the, the, the ghostwriter said, well, I'm narrowing it down. It's got to be Trump. I think it's Trump. And, and the son was talking to an ESPN reporter saying, well, it could be one of these guys. And then all of a sudden, four years later, uh, because the ghostwriter is narrowing it down even more to say, this is definitely Trump. You have the son saying, oh, oh, yeah, I had this conversation with dad this one time where he said Kraft was doing this. I mean, where did that come from? Did, was, was he haunted by his dad's ghost? Or, or was he more, more haunted by the ghostwriter? <laughs> That's know? a good point. You know, saying, this is, let's, this, let's this is this just like, like a the... bribe rather, rather than a campaign contribution. Yeah, this is a... The man who shot Liberty Valance, uh, this is the West, sir. When the legend becomes fact, print the legend. Shaq, uh, your thoughts on uh, uh, on the discussion? Yeah, what, what, what I hate the most about this entire article and this entire day is the glad handing of the media and how and, and the praise that is going to be bestowed upon uh, DVN and Wickersham. Oh, how wonderful journalistic integrity. What work they've put together. This is amazing. You have to read this article. It's so great. Oh, it's the Shawn Michaels. It's the Shawn Michaels tickling the balls, Jeff, right? Yep, exactly. It's, it's so, it's so calculated and it's the same 24 people that you see sharing this article and saying, you gotta read this. This uncovers things you never knew, but that's not true at all because what, the only thing that it uncovers and what I and what when we were talking in the, the DM thread earlier uh, about how much money Spectre has taken in campaign contributions from Comcast over $153,000 and those people affiliated with Comcast and then about $358,000 related to Comcast. So it again, follow the money and it's funny how they frame it as, oh, the, the, uh, what John mentioned about the 11,300 to Spectre's campaign com committees, they say in the article that it's the maximum amount allowed to be given in, a, in each uh, political cycle. So that's in that story. And then what, what's also in that story is Spectre asked Kraft about contributions in 2010, but guess what? He didn't get any from Kraft. So it, it, it's just a lot a much to do about nothing like science just like Seinfeld and it it but it's not worth anything you can re-watch Seinfeld you can't re-watching re this rereading these articles is like it's a waste of your time agreed and it's you know to use another Seinfeld quote with regards to this for for Wickersham and Van Natta they get this from this information they're like there that's a show 
Scartelli, um, chime in here. Well, the, the deep irony in all this is that uh, Senator Comcast's big uh, <laughs> problem with the NFL was ostensibly the public funding of stadiums. And who famously did not have his stadium publicly funded? I believe uh, Tom Finneran. Tom Finneran put the gun to Bob Kraft's head. You, you want, we could do a, a, a whole podcast for, just regarding that, but that's a good point, Scartelli. He made Crafty Bob as much as shit as I've given him in the past. He did dig into his own pocket and did everything he could. Um, you know, a politician should be looking upon that favorably. You would think this isn't about laundering money. This is about laundry. Kelly Green yes. laundry. Yeah. absolutely absolutely yeah. john wrap it up here on uh yeah. specter and uh comcast gate yeah i like that point scarcy just made the irony of it all you yes. know because the, the the specters you know comment about publicly financed stadiums the other thing it was about is you know the comcast pissing match with direct tv uh you know it's it's the the you know comcast wanted the the you know, to be able to charge more for the NFL package, you know, the direct TV had the sweetheart deal with the league. I mean, it was, you know, it's, that's what it was about. Like, that's what it's about. You know, Comcast, you know, the, the amount of money, we all know the amount of money tied up in the NFL rights, you know, you see it, how it balloons, you know, year over year, you know, the Comcast people know this, you know, they're getting, you know, kind of the short end of the stick vis-a-vis direct TV. I mean, that's what this is about. And it's in the, the Spygate stuff, the Eagles, you know, I mean, you know, that, that's, that's just the, that's what it's, that's the fakery. Uh, but I think the other key point is like, what, what would make this an interesting article? It would have been an interesting article if Kraft had given Spectre a lot of money, you know, that, okay, well, that's an interesting, you know, but, but he didn't like, I love the idea. I mean, the article even kind of concedes this, that, that, you know, Spectre goes to Boston, you know, to meet with Kraft to ask for money, because why else would he be there? Right. And, you know, Kraft stiffs him and, and chews on him. Right. For, for the, the being such a pain in the ass as it related to all this Spygate stuff. Right. And he, and he, and he you know, he left him kind of holding the bag. And what happens? Yep. The guy gets beat in a Democratic primary and that's the end. Right. I mean, that's 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 how it all ends. So, I mean, I don't know. This is this to me. What what drags this out now? What makes it interesting now? There's a like, you know, Shaq said at the beginning, there's a book coming out later in the year. That, but I think it's I think it's Specter's son. I think it's Specter's son looking to get his name out there, and this gives him an opportunity to get some free uh, earned media, as they say in the business, a little free earned media uh, for his you know his erstwhile political future. I, I, excuse me, you make a great point, and I, this will certainly not be the last that we talk about this. I'll be curious to see, and we're recording this on Wednesday night, um, to see how far this blows up. Does it fade into the ether? Does it grab public attention with Brady and Tampa Bay and the Patriots coming off a seven and nine season? So let's see what kind of traction that that uh, that it has. And we can discuss that when we record, hopefully over the weekend. So we'll be coming back to that. Topic two, I'm going to go to Dan on this one. And we, we've been, again, we've been batting this back and forth a little bit. And I want to talk about the football fit. And I want to talk about the clickbait fit. There have been Julio Jones to the Patriots rumors everywhere phil perry in particular and i think phil perry is is decent at what he does he he is a an apostle of pro football focus but you know let no good deed or no sin go unpunished um what's the football fit with julio jones and the patriots uh, is there a fit and is it just clickbait or is it just i mean are they filling time during a quiet time of the year 
or is, is there actually a fit then? All of the above. Okay. Uh, the answer is yes. You know, you know actually, it's, it's been a, a, a bad offseason for Patriots haters because every prediction, everything that they wanted to, to occur has gone in the opposite direction. With uh, free agency, they had the predictions of, oh, well, but you, you know what they're going to do. They're, they're not going to spend the money. And here they go and put out a record amount of cash and, and, and go after these big names. Uh, the draft comes around, they say, oh, well, they're not going to draft a quarterback or they're going to trade back or any of these types of things. What do they do? They stay put and they draft the quarterback everybody wants them to get. Mm-hmm. All, then there's the pursuit of Jimmy Garoppolo, which everybody wanted to happen. And that just fell by the wayside as well. Well, now here comes this story with Julio Jones, and it's the perfect topic for uh, Felger and Mass because they can paint it negative no matter what happens. If yes. They pursue, if yeah, if they pursue him, um, they're 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 going to say it's proof that Bill's ego was hurt uh, by Brady winning, or they're going to say that uh, well, Kraft made him do the pick. Um, if he doesn't pursue him, well, then it's Bill wanting to, to win without talent or, or, or the Patriots were cheap when it really matters. Or maybe it's something where uh, uh, Blank um, was punishing the Patriots for the 28 to 3, <laughs> all the little jokes that, that uh, Kraft put, like putting 20 to 3 in the rings. And, and now, now it's come back to bite him in the ass. Yeah, six Super Bowl, six Super Bowl titles later is coming to bite him in the ass. Shaq, um, do you I see a fit more. with do you see a fit with Jones? Does he fit? And what about the kind of the him being the the I heard of him of the moment? Anytime you can add a, a Julio Jones, uh, I heard of him type of player, and you have the opportunity to you you do it. But I, I think I'm rooting for this to happen more more. I guess less so for the fact that he would improve the Patriots and more for the fact that the narratives would be destroyed. Like, oh, no good players want to go to the Patriots. No uh, free agents or anybody wants to go to the Patriots. And Julio Jones would be the perfect foil to all of that. And and it, it's, it's funny to me that the media is wanting to portray this. As, and today I heard something from, I believe it was Jeff Darlington, from uh, the four letter network. So take that for what you will. But I, there, there's there's rumors going around that it might not even take a first round pick. It might take a second round pick or maybe even a third round pick. So, you know, there's a whole bunch of, of smoke going around. But if that is indeed true, then the yeah, I wouldn't be surprised to see the Patriots dump all over that. And that would be, because there's been stuff saying that uh, he wants Julio Jones wants to play with Cam Newton, and also this thing, um, which was which happened earlier in the week with Shannon Sharp on Undisputed, with him saying that with with Julio call well, actually Shannon called Julio live on the air and waited until the end of the conversation for Julio to just say, "Well, I don't, I'm not going to the Cowboys," and you know. Don't totally throw them under the bus and then say, oh, you're live. Well, <laughs> you know, in, in California, it's a two person consent state. So you can't be <laughs> you can't be waiting until the end of a conversation to say we're live. That's but, showing a Tomasi level of um, moral uh, ethics and journalism. Yeah, that's what happens when you're on channel 250, 3000. But anyway, uh, 
yeah, I say all that to say Julio Jones would be a great fit. And I, I hope that it happens. June 3rd is the, uh, trading deadline or trading something i'm not sure but it'll be the the post june one deadline for they can spread the cap head over a couple of years right right so and they have they the patriots are in the position i would say the best position to be able to afford that and to and to spread that around so everybody there are been teams like the titans that have been rumored but i don't think they have the, the, the amount of space so yeah I, I'm I'm excited to purchase my um, Julio Jones jersey. Scarzi, what do you think of Julio Jones? Well, I initially didn't think this sort of thing would happen, but I thought the same thing when the Randy Moss rumors started uh, floating around some yeah. years back and uh, just a couple years back. Antonio Brown's not going to come to the Patriots and over a, over a busy you know 72 hours, there he was. It's too bad Bill never got Tom weapons, huh? Exactly. And uh, I think I may be stealing somebody's uh, thunder with this, but if they had uh, made the Garoppolo deal, they wouldn't have the cap room mm-hmm. to get him. A thousand percent. Um, John and I have talked quite a bit about this. And your, uh, Scartelli, your uh, comparison to Randy Moss, uh, I understand it. I think. The Patriots traded a fourth round pick, if my memory is serving me correctly, to acquire Moss. And I mean, that's maybe one of the greatest transactions that ever involved a fourth round pick in the history of football. I'm not sure you're Moss was a distressed asset coming off injuries. And I believe when the Patriots acquired him, he was in his age 30 season. I could be wrong on that, but I believe that's the case. Jones is 32. He had a lot of nagging injuries last year. The Patriots appear to be building a power running team. They've got the running backs. They got Maulers on the offensive line. They have a quarterback. The quarterback who is well, Cam is certainly a conducive. That kind of style is conducive to a power running game. And I'm not sure how adept Julio Jones is at catching passes with his feet, John. So, what do you think about Julio Jones? And is he a football fit first and foremost? Yeah, I, I think I kind of like what, the way Shaq phrased it at the beginning. It's like anytime you have a chance to upgrade your roster, um, you know, it's, it's worth exploring. And, and I think, you know, Julio Jones makes the, the wide receiver room better, right? I think he, I think he makes it better. What's the, what's the wide receiver equivalent of arm talent for a quarterback? Is it hand <laughs> talent? Yeah, toe grip. I think. Toe- <laughs> <laughs> so, but, you know, it's like, I, I, I think you can't really talk about this without talking about the contracts and the flexibility and, yes. and how you make it fit, right? So you look at the Falcon situation, they don't have the cap room to sign their their draft class. So they Cap got is crap, caller. Yeah, they, they, well, they've, you know, the Falcons have got little to no leverage in this in this situation, right? Notwithstanding Shannon Sharp and the, and the garbage he pulled on Julio Jones, you know, deceitfully getting him to say that he was, you know, out of Atlanta. I thought that was a horrible thing. A horrible thing what he did to Julio Jones. So put that aside. Falcons, I don't think have a lot of leverage. Then you look at you know how much money it would cost to do this. You know the Patriots have the room to do it. There's there's not that many teams. They'd have um, to restructure have... the deal. Anyone who taking on that contract is going to have to restructure the deal. So so okay. So first, you know, th- do they have the room to do it? Yes. Restructure or not. Second of all, would they restructure? Would Atlanta take some money? Then it looks, you know, it starts to look like, you know, trades in, in other leagues, right? If, if Atlanta takes on a little bit more of the money, pays a little bit more of the money, do the Patriots give up a better pick? 
Is there, you know, there conditions associated with the pick based on Julio Jones's performance? Is it a, a third that could be a second, you know, uh, a second that could be a third if he's hurt, you know, I mean, those are the sorts of things. And then it really comes down to what kind of market do you expect for a 32 year old receiver who played nine games last year and battled a nagging hamstring issue. And, and you look at the, you know, the, the history of success for 32 year old wide receivers going into to their, you know, their 32 year old season, because he just recently turned 32 and, you know, it's not great. I mean, the, the guys that continue to put up really good numbers at that age, you know, you can, you can kind of, I mean, we all kind of can probably guess, you know, who they are in, in recent past. I mean, guys like Larry Fitzgerald, Anquan Bolden was putting up good numbers at that age. Uh, Moss kind of hit the, the proverbial cliff, I think at 33. Um, I mean, it's, you know, do, do, so bottom line, Jones's contract, even if you don't restructure it, it's, it's expensive this year. And then you got a $2 million buyout next year. You know, if you can restructure it and, and not take now, now of course his contract would consume all of your cap space for this year. Right. So you can't do that. You've got to get a little bit of wiggle room there, but is it doable? Yeah. Does it make the team better in 2021? Yeah. Does it, does it cost you a lot in 2022 with that buyout and, and the like? It really doesn't. So I kind of like it. I kind of like it. I, I wouldn't bet the farm on Julio Jones putting up 1,200 yards receiving in this offense, but his ability to be a Raymond Berry, I think it was Raymond Berry approved decoy a la Stanley Morgan back in the day. <laughs> right? Raymond could, Berry was the only, yeah. the only person who could slow down Stanley Morgan, right? <laughs> exactly. Could he, could he play that role in this offense and keep things a little bit looser on the outside so that they can tear people up in the middle of the field? I mean, you know, I, I can get behind that. No, I, I listen, it's, it's, I, you and I talk often about distressed assets. I don't think Jones is a distressed asset per Agreed. se, but it's not something I want to commit, you know, Bill, a uh, bill, he and I always great friends. He's not going to have, doesn't have that cap money burning a hole in his pocket. And he's not going to go there and throw high, dra a, a high draft pick. I don't think while taking on that contract, which is, you know, not going to leave him with a lot of wiggle room. There's no way that trade gets made without some sort of restructure. And of course, how badly does Jones want to win? So if he wants to go to a, a, a team that has a chance to win, be that Kansas City, uh, Green Bay, New England, I think those are th teams, three teams with reasonably good chances to have some success next year. Um, you know, it'll be interesting to watch play out. Um, all right, good stuff, guys. Um, well, also, I just want to just, just, just sorry, sorry, just to add to that. I think it's pretty funny that the Patriots are irrelevant. The Patriots are this irrelevant team. And the last two topics that we've talked about have the Patriots on the forefront. Absolutely. So, you know, for the irrelevant Patriots, they're certainly not that they're certainly pretty relevant at the moment. So. And there's, there's the thing is, it's, there's never a Darth of interesting stuff to talk about that isn't just dramatic bullshit, Scarcy. Well, if they get uh, if they get Jones, they can maybe move him up all the way to fourteen on Peter King's uh, ratings, and we can then discuss who's wide receiver one in the room caller, right, John? Well, yeah, I got I got one more thing. Wide receiver one in the wide receiver room is going to be wide a receiver fascinating, core. Topic. fascinating topic for other podcasts, I'm sure. But you know, one thing, I, and I know we're not going to talk about this in any detail whatsoever. But the Greg Bedard podcast today, he oh. talked about Julio Jones. He talked about Julio Jones and said he thought his 2020 tape was terrible, uh, thought it was, and thinks he's going off a cliff. 
So if that gives you another reason to want Julio Jones to, to show out with the 2021 Patriots, there you go. Well, that's interesting because that was my analysis of Bedard's 2020 tape as John, well. So. John, John, how does it feel to be the only listener to that podcast? <laughs> I was that one. I saw that picture. I saw that picture of one person. I think that must have been me. So in Title Town, Brother John listens so you don't have to. <laughs> so that's... you don't have to. All right. Uh, let's go on to topic number three. From the far hash mark, angle to the left for Adam Vinatieri, 48-yard field goal attempt. Set to go, snap, ball down, kick up, kick is on the way, and it is good! It's good! It's good! Adam Vinatieri moves a 48-yard field goal, and the game is over, and the Patriots are Super Bowl champions! The Patriots are Super Bowl champions! The best team in the National Football League! If you don't get chills listening to that, I can't help you. Um, apropos, considering we ended the last podcast, I asked Shaq about um, his favorite Super Bowl compare and contrast, and your answer was Super Bowl 36, Shaq. Uh, l- let's talk about the great Adam Gin- Vinatieri, the GOAT of place kickers. You're up. By the way, uh, long live Gil Santos and Gino Capaletti. Ab- absolutely. Hat I- tip to Gil and Gino, the GOATs in the booth. Absolutely. Yeah, if we can have Gino's five. joy, Gino's joy, yeah. just laughing in the background, it just it goes yay! Oh <laughs> my god! I just again, that's goosebumps, goosebumps city. If we can have them as cyborgs, I mean, no, uh, no disrespect to um, to uh, Bob Sochi you know, and to, Zolak to, to, to Smiley and, and Stan. I don't know what their <laughs> names are, but um, if we could have them as cyborgs, then I'd be happy with that. But anyway. Uh, Vinatieri. I'm glad you played that clip, but I'm 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 even more surprised that you didn't play the best kick I think ever made, and that's the kick against the Raiders. Probably, uh, and I'm talking about the the kick in the snow, and that was probably the most improbable pressure kick ever. Um, for me, when I was watching it, I gave it almost no chance. Ditto. <laughs> and and really, I remember at the time these were the games, guys, that the Pats always seemed to lose. And, but instead, if Vinatieri doesn't make that kick, I think that that the dynasty isn't set in motion. And it was such a sliding doors, right? I mean, I'm, I'm still floored at that kick. I can't, I can't believe you made it. I mean, every stage of that game up until it, it felt like they were going to lose. Even getting the bye in the home field advantage against the Raiders was really improbable. But anyway, um, that was an impossible kick, and that's my favorite one. Uh, the Super Bowl 36, notwithstanding. But, but I don't know if you guys remember. Well, you you guys remember, but anybody who might be listening, you you remember him chasing down Herschel Walker? Yes, his rookie season it, in '96 in Dallas. In, in 1996. Yeah, it, kickers don't for any they weren't supposed to do that type of thing. But that just showed how in the early uh, days of the, even in the outset of the, of the, before the Patriot dynasty, that how vital and important he was. But it started with those two legendary kicks from Vinatieri where there were absolutely no expectations for the team. What a surprise that it prevented people, you know, from getting mad at him after that, even in Super Bowl 38, when he had those two missed kicks, which everybody, you know, there are a lot of people who say, oh, you know, Brady was bailed out 
by Adam Vinatieri, but they never mentioned those misses during that Super Bowl. But he he he's probably one of one of well, he is the greatest kicker of all time for me. But then, as Patriots fans, we've been very lucky the last twenty years to bring in not only have Adam Vinatieri, but then bring in. Steven Goskowski, yes, who has very high expectations from the shadow of, of Adam Vinatieri, and then you know every kick naturally is highly scrutinized because you're following that act, but and everybody would tell themselves, oh, Adam would have made that kick, you know, every miss that Goskowski had, oh, why didn't Adam make that kick? Why didn't he make that kick? Adam would have, but Goskowski, for all intents and purposes was as accurate, if not more accurate, than Vinatieri was. He's one of the most accurate place kickers of all time. He's in the top five, I believe. That's right, during his entire career. So Vinatieri, he's – get his his red jacket ready. He's going into, you know, keep it it away from Parcells and give it to him. And and I'll always remember those kicks. And uh, it's unfortunate that he had to finish his career with those – ridiculous coats but i'll choose not to remember that and i'll 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 respect that portion of his career yeah get the red jacket ready is 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 a thousand percent correct scartelli um your thoughts on vinatieri's retirement yeah he could uh wind up with a gold jacket to complement that red jacket it'll look good in the closet next to each other yeah exactly the amount of scoring that he's done in this league and, this league. Mm-hmm. And uh, everyone forgets this, but he's related to Evil Knievel. <laughs> that's 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 going that's a honk if you remember that kind of stuff right there, Scartelli. Uh, speaking of remembering things, he had that uh, great uh, touchdown pass to Troy Brown in the fake field goal. Or was it a... F- yeah, fake field goal against the Rams in St. Louis caller. That's how, that's, we're this many years old to remember that. One of the sports writers had a hissy fit about that, if I recall. Something, you know. Deceit. Bordering on unsportsmanlike. It must have been Clark Booth. (laughs) It was Clark. Clark. Dan, thank you. It was Clark Booth. That's awful. Yeah. Yeah. Living down to our expectations, Scartelli. Yeah. That's, there's, there's, I mean, the fact that Shaq, you know, Shaq pointed out that the clip I played isn't his greatest kick of all time agreed first and foremost, but the catalog of plays that he was involved in. I mean, you think about the two kicks against the Oakland, obviously the winner in super bowl 36 and the winner in super bowl 38, that long field goal and that freezing cold divisional game against the Titans in the 2004 season that was, you know, kicking a, a concrete block in two degree temperatures, 45 yards to beat the McNair, Eddie George Titans kind of on the, the last legs of, um, of that team's kind of window as it were. So Dan, your thoughts on uh, Vinatieri. He was probably kicking a deflated ball in that Titans game. Most certainly (laughs) kicking a deflated ball, you know, take their picks, all of them. Yeah. Oh, if anybody, if any kicker is going to get in the hall, it's got to be him. any new kicker. I mean, how many are, is it just, just the one? Yeah, Morton kicker. Anderson, uh, Jan Stenerud off the top of my oh, head. Stenerud. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, it's, no, I mean he, Teddy Bruschi called him a football player, and that's something that's been said about him going back to even earlier in his career when Parcells was here. 
that, that's a great way to put it. That's that's exactly it. He was an athlete. He, he showed that kickers are athletes too. That's a good point. Uh, I tremendous career. Um, I, my most vivid memory of Vinatieri, and this is very personal. I'm going to go a little bit Albert Breer here with a, a personal anecdote. Watched the entire 2001 run, as I'm sure you guys did, but the same bunch of guys were a bit, bit superstitious after the, the Raider game. And when he made that kick, they kept coming over my same place at the same time. One of our friends, uh, John and my friends, looked over at me as Vinatieri lined up that kick, and he just mouthed the word to me, money. So we called, we used to say that Vinatieri was Italian for money. It was lira time every time he lined up a place kick, John. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it was a, a joy to watch him. And I, again, I want to go back to Shaq. As Shaq, talked, Shaq took the transition from Vinatieri to Guskowski. I was thinking, yes, it was a great when he point. made that kick, like were we conditioned when he made the, 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 the two kicks against Oakland in the divisional game? What, what was our history as Patriots fans with kicking? I mean, when we were growing up, Mike, Patriots kicking oh. was, was not exactly a forte of the team. I mean, okay, I'm sorry. I think the 83 Rick, Rick, season, I think they went through five place kickers before Tony Franklin. I, I want to be careful Tony here, Shanklin. Because I want to I make a case for Rich Camarillo in the Hall of Fame over Ray Guy, first of all. I'll, we'll, we'll talk about that another time. But, okay, but, honk. <laughs> but, you know, from a place kicking perspective, John Smith, I mean, John, I went to John Smith's soccer camp, right? I mean, that's, he should have been playing soccer. The dude, the dude would have been better off playing soccer. Then you got Tony Franklin, right? Then there's the Freddie Suitcase Steinford in 83, right? You know? <laughs> I see he was like eight for 15 that. on extra points. I mean, they were spotted at the two. I mean, there were some bad kickers, you know, that we watched growing up. I mean, Charlie Bowman, Scott Nissen Sisson, Jason Starofsky. Um, I was writing these guys down so I didn't forget any of them. Jason I mean, Starofsky like- missed the field goal at the end of the 90 season in a game that would have tied the Giants in the final game at Foxborough. It was so wide left, it hit the track. <laughs> so, I mean, so that was like, we grew up with that, right? I mean, Tony Franklin, for probably a 20-year period from like 80 to 2000, or 15 years from 80 to... 96 when Vinatieri came on the scene Tony Franklin was was the best kicker for the team right and if anybody can picture what Tony Franklin looked like I mean that shows you how like the dearth of kicking you look like your accountant yeah exactly so anyway so then Vinatieri comes on the scene and all of a sudden the Patriots haven't just stabilized the position that was kind of historically you know weak but they've got a Hall of Fame kicker right and then they get the greatest quarterback of all time and then and then it's on right so yeah I mean Vinatieri is a piece of the, the greatness of this franchise, uh, you know, uh, over the Belichick and Brady era. He does not count towards Bill Parcells draft hits because he was an undrafted free agent caller. Yet another reason why I'll pass on tuna for the Patriots hall of fame. Um, I want to transition with this within an hour of Vinatieri announcing his retirement on the execrable Pat McAfee podcast, uh, Greg Bedard's lap dog, uh, who John vouched for, Nick Cattles tweeted this, quote, love Adam Vinatieri, but let's be honest. He didn't retire. The NFL retired him. John, defend your vouch. Defend your guy. Oh, that one's tough. I'm going to, I'm going to go to, um, he, let's, I'm going to, the timing. It had to be, he did the podcast with Bedard and something, something happened. Like his synapses was, weren't firing correctly. It was too it much was, Crisco was, in the air. 
Yeah, it was some sort of aura, like misalignment there, you know, like the moon in the, you know, I, I, you know, Gemini in the, you know, third trifecta, whatever the hell, you know, I mean, I don't, I can't, I can't defend that. I will say he did apologize on Twitter. I saw that he, he had an opportunity to rethink it. Um, After lashing know, out at the criticism initially. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, uh, it's a tough one, Mike. I, I, you know, the lunch table, he spent some time at the wrong lunch table and, you know, that's what happens. That's never what happens vouch. when you pick the, we, or there's never vouch. I, I'm, I, you know me, I'm, I'm a softie on, on some of these guys, but yeah, that was a tough one. I'll take my, I'll take a lap on that one. All right. You'll take the lap on that one. I love that. You know, sometimes I, I worry about my train of thought and then Shaq has my back on Twitter and gets similarly outraged about the cattle's tweet as I was Shaq. So first of all, thank you. And just expound, expound on this. The fact that that was his, okay, he apologized, but that was where he went first. Never go full media. Right. It's all right. Love Adam Vinatieri. That could have been your tweet. That's it. But then when the butt follows it, <laughs> see, whenever you follow a compliment with, butt, that's not the compliment is, is moot. And so <laughs> you, you, uh, yeah, a 49 year old player, is retiring after a 24-year NFL career. It's so absurd. Yeah. Wow. The NFL, the NFL retired him. And so it just, and this is exactly the same thing. And we're going to be talking about this in, in a little bit about Edelman. Yes. These guys cannot wait to have a take. Like they they can't, you can't, you know, and as fans are reliving the memories and fans are trying to enjoy their time that they had with the player, the player. The player calls. No, you have to have some media just ruin it and say, well, no, no fun, no nothing. You must always have a take, always. It, 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 it's baffling to me. And I and I, I think I said this on a prior podcast. I'm dreading the times when, I, and I tweeted this out, I'm dreading the times when there are Patriots who are yet to retire, but when they do, there's going to be something to be said and like I said on Twitter, when Matthew Slater eventually retires, there's going to be, there's going to be, yes. uh, here comes Bedard. Special teams don't really matter. W- wh- why are you all praising him? Why are you give, giving him plaudits for a great career? He doesn't matter. It, 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 it's, it's so contentious and it's, it's, it gets on my nerves. And I, 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 I'm just dreading the times when guys like Dante Hightower retire and they, they, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, if you follow me on Twitter, you might have to put me on mute on that day because <laughs> the first media that comes out and says he wasn't worth anything or something like that, I'm, I'm, I swear I'm going to go off on that because if you pay att- any type of attention, then you know it's not true. But, but there you go. You, if it bleeds, it leads. That's, that's the way the media is nowadays. Yeah, you said that when the butt follows... Um, you're right about that. And that certainly happens when Greg Bedard is on the Greg, or excuse me, when Nick is on the Greg Bedard fo- the podcast, the butt follows. Scartelli, I pulled this out from my bookmarks that's something I want to discuss and it kind of got lost in the shuffle, but I think it's in transitioning people shitting or cattle shitting on Vinatieri kind of emblematic of no, just, they're not shitting on Vinatieri. They're not shitting on Edelman as much as I think they're dismissing Bill Belichick. But Mike Tanier from Pro Football Outsiders had this quote the day that Julian Edelman announced his retirement. Quote, like, if we want to enshrine Tom Brady's little slot buddy in the Hall of Fame with a bust based on some deep fake composite sketch, that might work. Or Welker, Amendola, Edelman on each other's shoulders in a trench coat 
like Vincent's adultman. Fucking despicable and emblematic of everything. Why this podcast exists, Scartelli. That's just um, jealousy is what I'm seeing there. The fact that his uh, preferred teams you know, did not uh, did not succeed to the amount that he wanted them to because of Edelman's team. And um, I, 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 I take joy in his despair. That is the correct mindset. And I need to get there, Dan um, trampoline off that because that was, that was brilliant. Scartelli. Go ahead, Dan. You know, for the, the talk of Edelman into the hall of fame, it's the, the people that might be pushing for that there. I don't like, I'm not pushing in the, the idea that I actually think he gets in. I've, I've seen what those hall of fame voters are like. I just yes. Yes. don't go, don't go that route just five minutes after he retired and let him go through the process. That's what that's what the process is for. And also there's been so many exceptions to the rule that they, that they lay out in the, in the hall of fame. Um, let his case be made before you you dismiss yes. it within the first five minutes of a guy retiring. Oh, and there's one other thing with this, which is that I think it's interesting that for a guy that is so emblematic of this relentless work ethic that <laughs> he's taken down by the, the laziest, uh, uh, lowest hanging fruit. Yes. Yeah. Uh, just just no work ethic whatsoever to, to the people that are, that are opining on, on Edelman's chances. Good point. Uh, John, you want to wrap this up uh, in a bow here regarding the yeah. Edelman and uh, your boy, Nick Cattle's emblematic of, <laughs> of media culture. <laughs> well, the uh, Reuben Foster, who's an offensive lineman with the Steelers uh, went off on PFF today on Twitter. My new uh, favorite PFF. Steeler. First time yeah. I've ever said that. Yeah, I know. Seriously, they put out a, a clip clowning Roethlisberger and his, his, you know, I guess inability to throw a deep ball. And Reuben Foster just basically goes off on him and, you know, says you guys are supposed to be about stats and facts, but here you are, you know, making jokes. And, you know, it's basically why nobody respects you. Right. And, you know, I mean, guys like Mike Tanier, I mean, come on, like who, who, why would anyone respect what that guy has to say. Like, I mean, that's, that's a terrible thing to say about Julian Edelman. And, you know, what, what is the basis of this guy had a magnificent career and to go out and, and say things like that, you know, five minutes after he retired, because I think Scarty had it exactly right because Patriots have broken so many brains and these guys yes. that are, that are, you know, they're really just fanboys with calculators, right. That, that don't get paid to write for a website. And, you know, then they can tweet and, and say all these things and, they got their, you know, goofball little avatars and, you know, they say all these things. But for me, what Edelman represents, it's this great opportunity to, to go down memory lane again yes. and celebrate his career. And, and I'm sorry for the, for the guys like Tanier whose brains have been broken over the last 20 years and they've been wallowing in misery as the Patriots continue to win and Patriots fans like us continue to enjoy it. And then guys retire like Edelman, and we get to celebrate and relive the great moments of his career, of which there were many, many, many over, over the period of time. And they're resorting to kind of lashing out in this sort of temper tantrum sort of fashion, saying negative things about a guy who accomplished more in his retirement announcement than they have in their entire professional Absolutely. life. Absolutely. Heinz Ward never got this, had this bullshit happen to him. Guys no, of that I mean, ilk, John Taylor, 
you know, go on and on. It's yeah. So, I mean, they're, you know, whatever. I mean, guys like, it, it, you know, Ruben Foster's tweet is like, you know, to your point, my, my favorite stealer ever. Yeah. He's my favorite stealer ever too now, I guess, but you know, the ability to unite PFF, if it serves one thing, it can unite fan bases together against in a way that, <laughs> in, in a way that Goodell does like, you know, I mean, you know, I feel like kinship with Saints fans because I think they hate Goodell more than we do, right? And and any fan base that's going to trash on PFF is, you know, they've got a there's a redeeming quality there somewhere. Trashing PFF sh- uh, should be like booing Gary Bettman when they bring out the Stanley Cup at the end of <laughs> yeah. the Stanley Cup final. Um, I think we've done almost the podcast, gentlemen. Final thoughts. I'll start with you, Mr. Scartelli. Oh, uh, just if you'd be so kind as to go over to the uh, 15net.com and check out the uh, sports junk drawer, that would be much appreciated. And it's possible that there could be something dropping over the Memorial Day weekend. Excellent. Good to hear. Um, At the 15net.com, he is at Pat's Cartel. I will throw it next to Shaq. Shaq, your final thoughts on today's podcast. Go ahead. Just one thought on Edelman real quick about the, and there have been several interviews that Edelman has done uh, throughout the last couple of weeks. And how many times does he have to repeat himself to say that I'm done, I'm retired, that his bone on bone uh, injury is not anywhere close to being any type of functional. So are we, are we just now forgetting him and just, not taking him at his word and are we just going to continue pounding and asking the questions of of him and saying well are you going to retire with Brady are you going to play with Brady now are you going to do it now and I, I can't wait for the point when they start you know four and oh or whatever and they ask him well do you want to do it now it, it, it's yeah uh, they're just asking the question the caller it, it makes me want to punch the wall through that but uh, I'll finish out by saying uh, a quote that Michael Irvin said, and this pretty much sums up the situation surrounding all the stories that have come out the last couple of weeks about uh, Spygate, uh, B- Electric Boogaloo, and ESPN <laughs> and their coverage of it. And it says, they hate anybody that wins so much and does great things. There's two ways we, we write stories. We write stories on the climb when people are climbing up. When you've been there up there so long, the only great stories to write that really sell are the stories about them falling. That hasn't happened in a long time in New England. Sometimes I think we're trying to manufacture things to make them fall because we can't find teams to beat them to make them fall. And he's absolutely right. And it's still relevant, even though the Patriots have quote unquote fallen this past season, it's still relevant because you have these stories coming out. And in fact, I think they're going to continue to be relevant because the way it looks now, you have with these Julio Jones rumors, if they're able to get him, it's <laughs> the Patriots are going to continue to be relevant. And, you know, as they say, cry. <laughs> That's a good point. Michael, if, I could, just- if I could tag back in one more thing, I think, uh, I think Shaq has it right. And I think Patriots fatigue played a huge part in uh, why Agreed. they played up uh, Mahomes so much. This was the new story. So if you would, Please get off the stage, Patriots, and let uh, Patrick do his thing. I think that's a, a big part of this. Yeah, it's like the equivalent of turning on the music at the end of an Oscar speech. Um, Irvin, you think it's Shaq. I think the Irvin stuff is good. And think about it. They won three titles in four years in the 90s. 
The Patriots dynasty went five times that amount of time, multiple of five. So in add in social media and everything else that is around today that wasn't around in the mid nineties. And it's just, you know, get the yelling shows on channel 2,543 and that sort of thing. So your point is valid and Michael Irvin, well done. Dan, final thoughts. You know, as long as we're uh, mentioning retirements, I think we should uh, acknowledge Ernie Adams, whom I think we missed. Yes, we did. Um, And just all the uh, accomplishments he had, how much he contributed to the team. Um, There there never was a true, I mean, even though there must have been about seven or eight different stories saying, who is Ernie Adams? And and would go into detail. There was always, you know, 10 times that amount of people saying, who is Ernie Adams? (laughs) Nobody's ever said. But uh, we'll we'll go to our graves not knowing what pink stripes meant. Uh, (laughs) But uh, unless um, (laughs) unless uh, uh, Spectre's kid um, he, he, he's told by Spectre he'll come back as a ghost and tell him what pink stripes meant. The Spectre seance. You know, we, we don't know if they froze his head like Ted Williams, so maybe maybe he will come back and tell us. Well, as the uh, frozen head communicator, maybe Shank Shaughnessy can get John Henry Williams <laughs> to help him out with that. Uh, John, do you have any other final thoughts? Yeah, just the last thing. You know, it's like I'm, I'm listening to this pod and, and we're hitting on these topics, especially this, the, the Van Natta, you know, sham stuff. And it, it does kind of remind me, this team is a wagon. This team is, you know, Julio Jones or not, this team is a Super Bowl contender. They get Julio Jones. I mean, people are going to have them up at the top of the ticket in the sports book. Where will they, they be in your power rankings, caller? Where, yeah, P- you know, PFF won't have them there. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> You know, Vegas will have them there too, right? And, and you know, we're going to be, you know, there's a deluge of negativity around the team and there's going to be this kind of nitpicking at OTAs and, and the, the radio mediates are going to be trying to dig out drama and create drama where none exists. But if you strip all that away, you look at this roster, you look at this team, you look at the management, you look at what Bill Belichick has done consistently over the years. And, you know, the, 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 a power running team with talent on the outside and ability to kind of beat you in multiple ways, a defense that's got tremendous versatility. I mean, I just, I, I hate to say it because the league is such a sleazy operation, but I cannot wait for the Patriots season to get rolling. It is going to be, I think, a heck of a lot of fun. A thousand percent. Uh, my final thought would be, and we've just touched on this in, the, in our group thread, and this is something we should probably talk about at some point. Because in Breeries, John, I'm going to trampoline off your Albert Breerism here. Pats are a wagon, bro. And they brought in so much talent that there's probably going to be draft choices, high draft choices who don't make the team. Guys like Dalton Keene, maybe Devin Asiasi, Joan Williams. But mm-hmm. they're a talented bunch. You can't keep them all, as, as they say. So yep. I think we've done a podcast, gentlemen. Shaq, thank you as always. You're at Atomic Dog 5150. Dan is at Patriots Daily. John is that John Irons and also Nick Cattles fan. And Scartelli is at uh, patscartel, the15net.com. Thank you for listening to the second episode of Entitled Town this week. And in closing, as always, hi, Marv.